Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Iambic Poetry Presents Real Poetry, where we talk about the poets, pictures, and popcorn. I am here with my two popcorn snatchers. Once again, it is Marvin and Auntie Vice. Say hello, everybody. What up? Were y'all trying to do a ding ding this? <laughs> Just make noise. Yeah. <laughs> What we're talking about today, people, as I just pointed out with Didi, is we're talking about Window Horses. It was a 2016 animation movie that was executive produced by Sandra Oh. And with that being the synopsis of this movie is Rosie Ming, a young Canadian poet, is invited to a poetry festival in Chirac, Iran. Never have been anywhere by herself, she finds herself on a journey to discover the company of Iranian poets who first forced her to confront her past. This this one was directed by Anne-Marie Fleming. And it was, like I said, it was directed to produce by Sandra Oh. If you don't know Sandra Oh, you need to watch more Grey's Anatomy or Killing Eve. About to say she's on Killing Eve now. Killing Eve, she is the bomb. I love that show. I am so down that dark, dark, twisted rabbit hole, and I'm so <laughs> there for it. I was actually surprised finding out that she was actually the voice of Rosie Ming. Mm-hmm. I think it's very fitting. I mean, for Sandra, she has a very youthful voice. That like, if you didn't tell me that was it was Sandra O, oh, I probably would have registered that it might have been her. Like there was would have been faint recognition, but I would have been surprised nonetheless because like, when without having to attach something physically to see, she has a very youthful voice in this movie. Yeah, it won several awards itself. Even as this is an animation picture, it has won numerous awards from. The Asian Pacific Screen Award in 2017 as Best Animated Feature Film. Uh, it's won the Canadian Screen Award for uh, achievement of movie of uh, music. It's also won the Cinemania, which is um, Cine Anime by Cinemania. Uh, and also, it's basically won about 11 awards. Most of it is either in the music or it's being in as a foreign film or as an animation film. So, I say, let's start with the commentary. Marvin? I love that it's always me first, that where you want to know my... Okay, you know what? No, I know. It's okay. Go for it. (laughs) I adore this movie. I don't think there's anything else that can be said about it. Like, I... I love it. I think the animation's beautiful. The fact that they used multiple different animation types to really flesh out the movie. I thought the story was really heartwarming. I mean, a a little coincidental for my taste, but nonetheless, I found it really heartwarming. And then at the same time, I think while not a mixed race myself, I totally identified with Rosie in the sense that her essentially her whole story is also trying to find out her identity. You have her only knowing a few words from both languages that her parents are native to, but she is insecure with herself with it. She still struggles with it. And I I honestly do get that very much. I mean, for someone who speaks 
Cantonese, I speak with a very heavy accent. There are certain words that I need to think about whether it's the right word or not. So I, I identify with that. I, I, I feel that to a very strong regard. And I just love this movie. Yeah, I know she was speaking. She was looking for a Mandarin book. Mm-hmm. These things. I was like, yeah, yeah. that was interesting. Uh, you, you had a point there where you said it was too. Are you saying it's too cliched or coincidental? Like I like, yeah. I mean, and I'm like thinking about it now. I mean, for all we know, he, her father, could have like asked one of the directors to extend that invitation out, mm-hmm. but. I remember when we were like when the movie was just first going on, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that's the n- very famous name that m- was connected to the old Shaw." I was like, okay, see now that's a little too coincidental for me. <laughs> and then all the events of everybody knowing her father was a little coincidental, but it's, okay, I can still accept it because overall, behind that one little thing, I felt the movie in itself was very sweet and heartwarming. So I was able to overlook that. Hmm. Auntie Vice. I re- I'm with Marvin. I really enjoyed this film. I thought it was very well done from the animation to the story to the voicing of the characters, the choice of poetry. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really beautiful film. And uh, yeah, I thought it was well cast. I thought, you know, down to which poets they selected, who they wanted mm-hmm. to highlight. I thought it was just an excellent film overall. I also just want to say this real quick as someone who has said this in his own body of work before. Dee Dee's ma, 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 ma thing. Oh, oh, I felt that one. Oh, my God. That was the best. That was the best. If not just because I've written about that, but because he he says it so eloquently, and I just loved it. <laughs> his explanation just made me just look at your poem like, yeah, I know that poem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. One thing about this movie that cracked me up mostly was the fact that when I brought it to y'all, brought it to you both y'all's attention, when I said it was an anime, y'all were like, anime? Cool! Let's do it! <laughs> hey, man. Like, Animation's well, coming back with, like, a force to be reckoned with. Like, And this was excellently done animation. This wasn't yeah. shitty animation. This was really strong animation. And the other movie you were pitching, we will go nameless because <laughs> it will come up in another episode, was, like... Goth girl slit your wrist in a you know graveyard to write your poetry in your own blood level of drama, and I was just not feeling that. Oh wait, it was an emo Marvin movie. Oh, I should have watched that instead. (laughs) No, my 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 critique of my critique of it is I think this is even too emo for Marvin at twenty one. Yeah, we did we did point that out. Also, listeners, I know we talked about this previously where I was going to promise some emo pictures. Couldn't find emo pictures. Thankfully, MySpace does this reintegration thing mm-hmm. where they go, hey, we need you to consent to wanting to keep whatever's on your old MySpace before, you know, we carry it over since mm-hmm. Johnston Timberlake bought it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess who didn't do that. So, wow. Me. All gone shame. to the wind. Gone to the wind. Shame. Shame. It's probably somewhere else. It's probably somewhere else for all you I know. You have the phone or the files or anything? Of course I don't. The yearbook? <laughs> Wow. Yes, but that's not with me. <laughs> Interesting. You're going home again. You are going home. <laughs> it ain't that far of a drive. <laughs> trying to get out of it. We should, we should ask your friends. They might have they might have pictures still salvageable. I like that. <laughs> anywho, <laughs> I can ask Matt. I can ask your roommates. No, but anywho, yes. <laughs> um 
we basically so with this movie itself, we go into finding out about Rosie Ming, which is which we now find out through this movie that she is a mixed race child. Um, should I stop saying mixed race or should it be more multi? I mean, I think it's. I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, as someone who's only of one race, I don't know. But a uh, mixed race seems fun. If how it's you wrong, your kids. My my kids. Yeah, how oh, do you refer to your kids? It's my kids. Right, but do you tell people they're mixed? Do you tell them they're they're multiracial? How do you describe it? What are you comfortable I, with? I you're, the, you're the one with the mixed kids on here. Yes, yes. The only one with kids. <laughs> Thankfully, that is true too. Anywho, <laughs> I mostly tell, mostly the, I'm not going to talk about your question. I mostly tell people uh, my kids are mixed. Uh, or multiracial. I just got multiracial. It's much easier to, to keep people's minds in check. Um, we find out that, that um, when I first saw when I first started seeing, it, I thought she was just Chinese. I thought she was just Chinese. I didn't know that when she was wearing when she was wearing the hijab, the job, Shaba, that she was Shaba. No, Shador. Shador. Yeah, Shador. Mm-hmm. Shador. I'm going to get a lot of hate now. Um, she was You're wearing Jordan. That she was part, that people thought she was Muslim, and I was like, "Well, why would they think she's Muslim?" She's something I really love that's please. mentioned in this movie, but they don't. I mean, they did harp on it a little bit, but they didn't make it a big as a deal as I thought they would have. Is for Western cultures where we continually always go. God, women over in the Middle East must be so repressed, yeah. so this, so that. And then when you get there, there's just all these traditions that they say, well, no, it's not required. It's not this or it's not that. You're, they have their own set of customs and everything that they adhere to. And the whole point and what I always tell people continuously, too, is whenever they say anything in regard to that, it's all about agency, and they choose their own agency. I mean, granted, to the whatever societal norms are, but it's always going to be about choosing your own agency. So you can't just say someone's inherently depressed too, or repressed. That is true. That is true. And I just love how they go about it with explaining it in this story. They continually ask whether she, why she would wear the shador, or when. The, the the one of the directors was like, yeah, in a place where women don't have a huge voice, voting matters because that's mm-hmm. where they get their vote. I thought that was so great. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny that they called the women the lions. <laughs> oh, that was like one of my favorite things. And they call the horses like a sturdy animal in the same way a woman is. Yeah. I just loved all these little subtle ways to express femininity in its quiet strength. Yeah. Well, and I I really like the fact that they point out that, you know, a lot of Western cultures will travel to the, you know, wherever we go. Um, And this was Iran with all of these preconceived ideas about what it's like. Mm -hmm. And it's based on a very small amount of information. And, you know, part of part of that travel is to figure out how to open up because she keeps wanting to go kind of the typical route and, mm-hmm. and make all of these assumptions and it's slowly breaking her open because that's how Americans travel. Um, yeah. 
I mean, the worst people to travel with are American tourists. Like, we are embarrassing really? overseas. Oh, my God. I... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so many... Like, just from the travel that I've done, it's like, Americans are awful when we travel. And we, we expect we're everybody loud, to... We're loud. We're rambunctious. We expect, you, you, we expect I mean, everybody to speak English. Oh, God, that's the worst. <laughs> There is like the internet makes a joke out of it, which I love because like sometimes people like like I think the best joke I've seen on it was like someone was like the internet's an American thing. It's like, bro, no, yeah. homie, no, no, homie, no. We we do keep ourselves single minded. Okay. Yeah. What happened? But they even did that with the German guy. Like yes. he didn't under, like it wasn't. Just, it was it was what white westerners coming into Iran with these preconceived. Mm-hmm. And even he, who thought he knew all of this stuff about, still managed to stick his foot in his mouth on day one. Yeah. Because he didn't understand the culture. And I think, I mean, that's traveling as a Westerner. It's, you may think you know everything, but you get there and you realize, it, we're just awful. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely traveling as a Westerner, and it's also traveling as a young, pretentious person who thinks mm-hmm. he's super artistic and wise beyond his years. And what <laughs> young poet doesn't feel that? Oh yeah, no, totally, for sure, for sure. Like what? so was even with her, she was she was, she was very still not take. She wrote the book about Paris, mm-hmm. you know, wrote this poetry, oh, poetry about Paris stuff, and you know, her whole set mind was Paris, 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 Paris. I want to mm-hmm. go there, Paris, Paris, Paris. And getting called over to Iran, her first thought was, "This is not Paris," and even got more close minded when. People start asking her, like, so you're a poet? And she's like, no, I'm not a poet. Why are you here then? I wrote a poetry book. Like, that little thing started, she really started, she, like you said, her, her, her shield or barriers started breaking down when they start more and more pushing the, the point of who she is, the history of where she's at. She has family here. And even the fact of that she should... Even the fact that they had also a, Ch- a Chinese representative who wanted him, her, to read his poem, and she didn't know Mandarin, she was like, "Figure it out." Figure Which, it out. by the way, so cool that he did that. Mm-hmm. So cool. I thought that was like so cool. Where th- there was no ego in what he did. There was just. I thought that was a little beautiful moment. That was a bit of a moment. I'm more. I think my more. My more infatuated with the fact of Iran because just like just like everyone else I didn't know much about Iran I just knew that was in a warring country I knew we had issues with it Iraq was uh, was behind you know we helped Iraq to get Iran I didn't know much about it and we're still you know we're still pressuring them because of nuclear warfare and stuff but- I mean imperialism has fucked up a lot of parts of the world this whole idea of let's manifest destiny our way across the world and bring freedom and democracy has really left a lasting effect on everything. And I, Iran and Iraq are not exempt from that. And then you can see in the movie with how this con- preconceived notion with Rosie has definitely affected how she thought of everything when she first got there to the end when she was more open about it, when she was more willing to listen about whatever Iranian poets. Like, Jesus Christ, like, when she even was, like, trying to argue that France 
was more of a poetic world. And just yeah. like, but that's what everybody says about their own place because of that love and joy they feel from their own home. Hmm. Well, true. and it, it's what it, it speaks largely to the, the education. Of, you know, I think they did a great job of capturing, you know, what you learn and what you focus on in school shapes your ideas because mm-hmm. in, in the U S like in Canada, a lot of it's focused on European stuff and, Mm-hmm, you know, as mm-hmm. France is the language of love and uh, where they don't pronounce half the words all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, by the way, you, it's not the wrong. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like it's not called the language of the Romans because it's a love language, but because right. it, it's built from the Roman right. Latin and everything. It's like, yeah. no, not not what you think it is, but okay, whatever. Go ahead and think it's the language of love. Right. But it's, I mean, we. <laughs> We don't read many authors from from South America, from the yeah. Middle East, from Africa, from China. Like that exposure to that in Western curriculum is incredibly small, even yeah. though there's an incredible wealth of writing, uh, mm-hmm. especially in poetry from from around the world. So you know, you grow up having this very narrow idea of what uh, is considered great literature, and and that's. That's the way, you know, imperial countries conquered is we're going to make everybody else lose their language, lose their history, lose mm. their writing. Um, and you're going to have to learn to speak the, the language of your conquerors and everything. You see that throughout South America with Spanish and Portuguese. You see that with French um, and, and English and throughout Africa, you know. And so in doing that, you know, if you've grown up in the Western world, you generally aren't exposed to these poets until you seek them out. Um, you know, because it doesn't come, you're not reading Rumi, you're not reading Hyphus in your poetry, English section of poetry um, in the US, right? You read Chaucer, you read Dante, you read, <laughs> you know, what, uh, uh all of the all the Brits, right? Uh, but yeah. you, do, yeah, you don't read poets from other countries, even though there's some beautiful translations of poetry from all sorts of different countries. Mm-hmm. And that's and and just hearing about some of the poets that were they were displaying, that was actually interesting. Finding out about a poet who basically stood in what stood in stood in the grave area, the or the um. Our tomb. Uh, our tomb of the of got the poet's name, but he's still there for forty days and forty nights, and it was like just to be a poet, just to be called a poet. He he just put himself to stay in that tomb for forty days and forty nights. One thing I always crack me up about the word forty days and forty nights. It's been used a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's used a lot in a lot of things. Just like forty days, prominent 40 spiritual number. It's, mm-hmm. it's a wild number. It's like forty days. We're like real. You gonna stay there for a month and ten days? All right. Um, so, so with the fact that some of the poems, like her poems, were most looked at as being very singy-songy, um, Dora's poems were, were um, too... Offensive in nature <laughs> because like, for them, they don't consider eating with your animal at your table well, as dogs, a norm. Yes. Unfortunately, dogs and also even pigs and stuff are looked at as considered dirty. <laughs> so I could I could get that. That was kind of interesting. Um, um, Dink, one person that got my attention was Didi. Didi was his poem poem was a sound poem. He, used, mm-hmm. he basically is pointed out that he, 
he spent a lot of time alone, and this is the stuff he heard when he was alone. So a lot of his poems were almost ominous or, you know, had, had um, a druid or, or Buddhist type of feel to it, mm-hmm. where it was very, where it was very, um, everything had a tone. It wasn't a poem, it was a tone. And that's how you that's how you read it and stuff. So I was like, I was very, I was pretty interested in his poems. Uh, I gotta love, I gotta say, I love that there was nobody with poet voice in this. These are all really Even Taylor well. Bali? Yeah. No, I love Taylor Bali's piece in this. I thought it was fantastic. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, so many of the movies we've been watching lately have that, that poet voice in Slam. Mm-hmm. And this, even though they were doing Slam here, oh, and you, you know, um, and getting ones. Oh my God. It's the first show we've seen somebody throw a one. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a six one. <laughs> But I love the fact that it's it's poetry. It's not this performative, we're going to get it. So much of Slam now feels like, okay, we have to do these pieces to get through technicals, to show mm. that we can do it, to show that we have poet voice. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have any of that here. This is a much higher level of poetry, I thought, than most of the films we've seen. It's definitely an appreciation of your experience your thoughts, your artistic value, and less about how performative you are. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you fit into the, the dominant mode of performing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, no, I loved the, the pieces they selected. I thought, you know, they had a, a nice breadth of them and a nice representation of different types of poetry in this. I think for me, what I really liked at first too is the thing that drew me in was Rosie's, Design in comparison to everybody else. She was a stick figure. Her character was a white stick figure, might I add. Meaning, in the way I interpreted it was, she's not a fully fleshed out, or at least in her own right, in her own view, she's not a fully fleshed out person yet. She doesn't feel secure about herself. And even down to the when they give introductions, like Dee Dee the Exile Poet, or um, the woman was a, a history school poet, which was, I loved it all. It was like, they weren't just a poet, but they were this mm. type of poet. And then you have her who is a poet, and then they cross it around, fast food clerk. <laughs> And she, yeah, and I loved it. And then like further down, I was like, I would have loved to see what she would have described herself then. Mm-hmm. As she found her own voice as she found more footing in herself and became more confident and aware of what she was able to do. It would have been so cool to see what she would have thought of herself then. Well, and they did such a beautiful job of drawing out how, what the artist experience is. Is Mm -hmm. You start out, you're doing it. You're trying to find your voice, trying to figure out who you are. And as you do that, you also learn more about yourself. Oh yeah. Um, And the two journeys go together and that's, and the more true you are to your authentic self, the better your voice gets. And I think they really captured that with this film. I, I really enjoyed that about it. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. This film, this film also had a subplot, which was finding about her father and finding mm-hmm. that who he was, even though she, he left her at seven, finding out more about who he was but also find out more about her past, her deaf mother, um, her where her parents came involved, 
um, where her father was was basically put in jail and for those years and stuff. And just seeing how everything started. It's, this, is, this is one of those movies where um, even like they do like on CSI or even um, uh, what Quentin Tarantino movies do. They always start with the end or start with a part of the ending and then bring you back to the beginning mm -hmm. and put everything, you start putting things together. And from there, so what? it was, was that? Go ahead, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that the movie itself, it, it, it really pulled in the fact that this, that she went to Iran, even though we didn't know she was Iranian, but we find out during the, the movie, she is, she's half Iranian and also half um, Chinese. So it's like, oh, we just saw her as being a child. We thought we just, we just went as a Chinese, but as you pointed out, a lot of people are one single minded. They don't they don't see a person all around what they could be. They just see like, oh, okay, it's just you're Chinese, you're Asian. It's like, yeah, you're African, you're black. Like, okay, whatever. And I think but, they captured with her story and her as she discovers her family story throughout this. What yes. a lot of people do, you you get this story about your family when you're a kid, and it's repeated over and over and over, and that becomes your story. Not so much the original or the facts, but the story you keep telling yourself, right? Yes. And she has this story that my father abandoned us, my mother died, you know, period. That's it, you know. And when that story is challenged by being fleshed out by other people and other perspectives, it's a very painful process. Um, and, you know, a lot of people go through that through therapy. Some people do that through the arts. But the more you find out, out about who you are, where you've come from, what this means to you, the better person, better artist you become. And I think again, they did when they put the story together for the movie, they did a very good, I, good version of capturing what that's like to figure out how do we break this story we keep telling ourselves about ourselves and our pain. Um, and I loved it because that's what so many poets do, right? We've seen so many, especially young poets, they'll come out. They have the story about whatever trauma has gotten them to the point where they are in their identity, and they keep cycling through it. Right. And the trick is to break that and to figure out what is the bigger picture, who you are in relation to it. And it's not just the broken parts of, your, of yourself that are your story. It's a, it's a much broader piece, and there's a lot of the elements that come into that. And, you know, I think it... Coming, you know, if it was a younger poet, it might give you hope that maybe this horrible story you have about your life isn't the sum total of it. Like there are other parts, and and you know, you can grow and you can learn and you can heal because they really captured that with this film. It did. Um, yeah, it did kind of crush me a little bit when finding out about that what her grandparents did. I. Well, I don't agree with the actions. I understand where the actions come came from. Purely because if I were to look at it, my parents would be no different in their behavior. Not that again, not that I condone it, but my parents would be no different. And when I look at everything that's been done, it's not like I wouldn't have done any different from her father may run. Mm -hmm if I was put into his position and what I just simply cannot get over is how well fleshed out the, he is for a character who barely speaks three words <laughs> <Yeah>. in this. <laughs> I learned his entire backstory and it's been one of the most heartbreaking 
most touching things I have seen in a long time. A man who, what, goes into the Air Force, into the military service in the U.S., no less, leaves because there's a revolution and he feels that there's still hope for his home country, returns, gets ousted because he's part of a faction, not willingly, by the way, just purely because of family ties, gets ousted, but he still fights for that country because there's it's his home then he loses his feeling of allegiance because of a war because he's seen death he's seen a lot of things and he goes to find his own family but he feels nothing but heartbreak and heartache from this and then he only to return and get more oh my oh god just everything about his story was just so tragic and so touching that i just cannot get over it I mean, I even felt the part where just he he was into poetry also. He was a poetry teacher, mm-hmm. and that kind of, that kind of stumped her a little bit. Like the poetry teacher, we talking about my father? Yeah, your father was a poetry. He taught me. One of the guys, the translators, he taught me poetry. I was like, oh, yeah. He talked about an airplane in one of his pieces, yeah. and and it's so interesting to see Rosie's perspective of everything too, because I mean, it's clearly because of her, it's her grandparents who told her clearly that he was probably a cruel man that he abandoned her and of course they probably don't have to fill in the blanks as much because when you tell a child that she's been left and she's been unwanted it's easy for them to fill in their own blanks and Mm -hmm. put in a preconceived notion of it just like she probably she had a preconceived notion of Siraz Iran Mm, true but what was that oh I was just gonna say I mean and then when she is told that he wrote about a plane, she likely go thinks because he was a military man, so he probably wrote something about propaganda. No. The actual metaphor here was a plane can go as high as it wants, and the whole point of it is you can go as high as you want. And that was great. The, to For her to learn that was great. Well, and what I loved about the way they did his story is as you read more and more biographies by people who lived through the revolution especially as young adults the more you understand the how life-shattering it was regardless of what side you fell on mm-hmm, in the revolution mm-hmm. and how how many long-term consequences it is it has for how family structures play out in iran how politics play out like it's been we're like 50 plus years after the revolution mm-hmm. and it is still just it's shut. still felt it's still felt yeah. and like i think one of my best examples i can put in, into a real life emphasis is my parents i hate to keep bringing them up but just when i first told them that i was doing mic dance and everything their initial reaction wasn't any kind of pure happiness or joy that i was finding some creative outlet that would make me happy but it's what can you say that will get you in trouble are you saying anything that mm-hmm. will get you persecuted because of where they came from. And I don't think I fully had an understanding of that. Like even then, even now I still don't have a full understanding. I remember I talked to my dad about it recently because I've admitted to him that, yeah, I I believe in Marxism. I believe in socialism. And he keeps telling me, don't you tell anybody that. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't think I fully understood that even again, he would tell me these little things like, he was forced to work in the rice fields when the Maoism 
wow. had everybody working the right swords. And like I think younger, I thought, oh no, it's probably because yeah, it was a family thing. No, it was because communism forced the younger teenagers out there. And when Mao died in the seventies, his he I remember he told me that his legitimate fear was, how am I going to get home? Wow. Yeah. So I think this ties in very well with what you said on device. It's mm-hmm. you're right. It, there's never going to be a full understanding, but it does have lasting effects. Yeah. And you see, I mean, you see that in lots of countries, you see that with the Korean war and how mm-hmm. it separated that country. You see it in stories about people when the Berlin wall went up and, you know, Germany was split and for folks who aren't in that country, we're just observers, and we're we're listening to news reports and the the geopolitical implications of all of this, and a lot of what gets lost then is how deeply and tragically that impacts people on every level of their life. And I mean, I think it's probably the same with what a lot of folks are seeing with what's going on in Hong Kong, right? Mm-hmm, There's mm-hmm. a lot of discussion about the geopolitical impacts of it and the legal impacts of it. But you don't hear the stories of what that means for people who are living in Hong Kong on either side of the protest, whether it be the police enforcing it um, and what they're mm-hmm. going through or, you know, the people who are protesting it and trying to get oh, a yeah. voice. Exactly. And, and this, by giving Rosie's dad the backstory that he has, you begin to see how desperate that situation can be, even if you're on the side of the government when it starts. Oh, yeah. And how fracturing it can be. And I love the the humanness they give to such a major geopolitical event. And, it, and the, you know, the Iranian Revolution is just not something talked about in American studies and in schooling and stuff. You know, you get a little bit about with the Iran hostage deal, you know, right before the election in 80. But that's about the the extent that people think about the Iranian Revolution. And it is, it's, it's still yeah. having massive impact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, even the fact that they even, they even brought up some of Didi's political views or situation before he got mm-hmm. exiled. My favorite was the ironic thing is I'm now invited back home, but why should it? I love that line is so powerful, so poignant, and yeah. so relatable. It's the best thing ever. As well, his whole I mean, character is, though. I mean, he's the best thing ever. I swear to God, yeah. this is like sixty-year-old Marvin. <laughs> I swear to God, if I did not grow up to be like this, like this fictional human being, I will be severely disappointed in myself. As someone who holds no fucking allegiance to any fucking government or anything like that, if I did not wind up like Didi, who just goes fuck this, I'm going to go into exile because fuck this government. I'm going to well, be super mad at myself. <laughs> And I just love how he talks about being on a book tour and not thinking of himself as political. Mm-hmm. And they ask him to make a comment on what's going on in Tiananmen Square. And as soon as he, he knew that as soon as he made a comment, wherever it fell, it made him political and it was mm-hmm. going to have lifelong implications. And I mean, and that's another, you know, another thing that, you know, people learn a little bit about Tiananmen Square, but don't understand everything that has gone into that. And the fact that it's not taught in Chinese schools and how that goes into how media is controlled and what we're fed about China and how we see it versus people on, who live there. Like, it's just so you know, radically different, I think. You know the funny thing about this, too, is the whole Tiananmen Square thing. Mm-hmm. 
While in China, it's not as celebrated. And there, there are pocket groups of people who just love to meme on it by that because, like, that's the only real way you can right. politically speak out in China. It's not through any written post or any written word or any kind of written recording, but it's through memes because the internet police in China oh, yeah. is severe, is incredibly strong. And then I notice with people here in the states, other Chinese people. There are certain ones that I just find very fascinating because they are just so nationalistic, so culturally nationalistic to China. But then at the same time, they will throw this Tiananmen Square out at the same time. Because like I remember when Hong Kong was happening, I had some douchebag <laughs> friend in high school who was so pro-Beijing. And he, then he would love to share Tiananmen Square. It's like, no, homie, no, no, no. You cannot be one way or another. You you need to like be on one side, not both. You can't just stroke the dick of each side. Mm-hmm. Like, fuck off, Edward. Fuck off. Wow. <laughs> you called his name. I'm calling him out by name because he's a, <laughs> he, he's, he's a bag of dicks. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, but, but with the chase of it all, she does come after hearing all the poems, after helping um Durham with his poet his um do a dual poem together, and they got a good they actually got a good score, which I, I was I was confused a little bit. I thought they were doing a showcase, but it seems they're also doing a slam. In yeah, the midst that of was, it. that wasn't clear. So, Sorry, I'm just realizing how how the light coloring makes me look bald on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, that was one thing that kind of was making me confused because even even Herbie explains slam, which she was not. Right, right. <laughs> it was just basically okay. They're doing a slam. I thought that was another section where she wasn't dealing with, but it seemed like it was also during the showcase that they're actually judging. It's like, oh, nah. <laughs> so. Out of the out of the end of the out of the as the movie climacted into she started she got a book in Mandarin. She went to she went to an Iranian store, bookstore, to get a book in Mandarin and English. But she didn't get a book, she got a book in Mandarin Farsis and Farsis English. And I think I was like, okay, this is gonna be difficult. <laughs> Well, because it's just what's also study. interesting is I could think this also kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where this whole notion of everybody needs to speak English is so pervasive and so in- invasive that she immediately goes, I need a Mandarin to English book without realizing where she yes, is yes, yeah. and what the dominant language is. It's just like, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> well, at least no. <laughs> at least the at least the book, man, the book. Store clerk was healthy. He's like, oh, oh yeah, bless yeah. us all, bless us all. He was, yeah, he, yeah. And I think, I mean, like, a no, what, what person isn't going to be helpful in a situation like that? But at the same time, it's just like, and have she you probably... been to, to Barnes and Noble? <laughs> okay, <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> but I mean, again, but at the same time, though, like, well, she had, like, she clearly had no ill will. I mean, but it's just like that's how pervasive mm-hmm. this notion of European teachings are that she immediately thinks that they will be able to accommodate that one little what she considers to be a little request is probably like moving a mountain to them just like again who speaks english here right you're even lucky that i speak english and it it, i mean her request is the equivalent of somebody walking in here and saying i need a farsi to mandarin dictionary Mm -hmm. right and just expecting it to be there Mm -hmm. um 
which is much less likely to happen, but to have an, a foreign, an American walk into a foreign bookstore, a Canadian, and say, yeah, do you have an English to whatever dictionary? It's like, no, no. But there's that expectation, you know, that you bring up, mm-hmm. you know, that you point out. It's yeah. Like, I just, uh, it was so many little points like that in this film that I absolutely loved. Oh, yeah. No, no look, the, everything about it was an onion. You just peeled back all those layers to expose more. And I think it's a very, if I was ever to show a lesson in what it's like to have to travel to a country that is so drastically different from Western civilization, I, I think I would show this. I think I wouldn't mm-hmm. be like, here, watch this. There is a brighter world out there, and it's not all just deserts. It's not all just jungles. It's not all just third world civilizations in your head. And what you see, yeah, what you see on the news is not the entirety of. The oh country. yeah, that's a propaganda piece. Fuck it's off. A narrative, yes, yeah, yeah. weird narrative. I just learned just learned about some of the history of some of their poets. That really changed my perspective. Like, okay, mm-hmm. they, have, they have some interesting poems that even I didn't know about. Yeah, because I was bringing up stuff, and Auntie Vice was like, "Yeah, that's that's this person, or that's this one." You never read that stuff? Like, no. Mm-hmm. Like they did. They highlighted both Heifetz and Rumi, which are two of the greatest, mm-hmm. right, Persian poets. And Rumi, man, I've been into to Rumi stuff for. I, it, it's just beautiful, and it's unlike so much of what's written in Western poetry, which is why it's such a shame that even the translations aren't taught when you're going through your poetry sections in high school, Mm -hmm. right? It really should be, because it's a different type of poetry, but man, it's beautiful. But what, what, like, did she, did um, the lady bring over a roomy book that she had to basically pick over? Okay. Yeah. Because I know she had to pick, she's like, pick a, Say what you want. It's almost like a fortune teller. Yeah, ask a question and pull out a poem. Yeah. yeah. I liked that. I liked that. Well, I hadn't seen that before. It was actually kind of funny to me seeing that. That I was that was one of the things that, yeah, one of the things I never even thought about. Because, like, your poem, the poem could be anything. You just got to basically figure out what you wanted to, mm-hmm. they wanted yeah, to say. Yeah, you can, it can be yours. Improvise yes. it to yours. And I think... He's he's right about that. Like, what my interpretation and meaning of it is going to be vastly different from yours. Yeah. Yep. I, if I could relate, it looks like it's again my ma 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 thing compared to his. <laughs> well, that well that one right there was even more interesting. Just hearing the story of what you know what it all entailed. I mean, I know beyond the horse and his translation, horse his, mother, his, a, a part of a sentence. Yeah. School. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just funny how that has so many connotations of where it can go in the whole, and even the fact of how, where it's taken from. So the fact, so with the, with the end comes out, we find out more and more about her um, father and also all the people that know her father and his life and past. And then we find out also about the devastation of her, her mother's death and how it became. Saddened to say it was a car accident, but it was the it was basically done after they dropped him off and they kept on going. So that's, oh my god, that's so tragic. It was, yeah. and then he's stuck in prison as a political prisoner for two years. Can't even. Oh god. I will say this is the only film we watched that made me cry. It actually, I was crying by the end of this thing. It it, it pulled it out of me. <laughs> I, I can concur. That was a that was a. An unfortunate event. Even even animation. It's just like, really? Ouch. 
Um, just the plan of because even I, like I was telling, like I was telling Auntie Vice, he was ill mm-hmm. and he was in the hospital. So her cousin told her that he's in the hospital. Here's where he's at, and she's going to the hospital, and he's not there. I actually told Auntie Vice, I said, "Oh my God, did he die?" <laughs> Did he die? This is not a good time to die. It's like, uh, and then having her talk to a lady who he brought up uh, as a child. And she's basically saying how good he is. You know, he brought me up as a child. You know, she thought he was like, she thought of her as, you know, your brother, the dad's the greatest and trying to get compliments. And basically is find out that her whole story of, no, this is a freaking insult. You're telling me about my father. <laughs> He's gone, and you're basically the, the, the replacement. It's like, no, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's like, mm, it sounds like that. So being the fact that that was, we find out that, no, he's just where he lives. He's, he's checked out. And then she goes to, find, goes to the house and finds out that her watch is actually her father's, mm-hmm. which brought up more information. And she used that to to meet all her all her cousin all her cousins and stuff. Now this is the thing I asked some um, auntie Vice because her nephew, um, her nephew and her sister went out to um, went to Morocco and he met all his cousins and aunts and stuff from his father's side. And it was interesting going. That must be a big old family. Just just for the thought of like I have this many people, I don't know of. So. It was very sweet. And also, well, by, it, it was very like, much received the same way. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is Celine. We've waited for you for so long. And I mean, it's been four years since mm-hmm. he's, because like, he's been twice, four years since the last time he was back. And he still talks about his cousins in Morocco all the time and misses them and they'll occasionally Skype and stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, that, I think that's how a lot of extended families work. I, I mean, think, mine doesn't, yeah. but yeah. I think with, I mean, just speaking from on my dad's side, it's just when you don't see that immediate side and they're knowing that there is another part of you out there with life of its own, you want nothing more to have them there knowing that they're like, like I like, it's always going to be like that for my dad and, mm-hmm. and his side. They'll always try to reach out. Like, and I'm not going to lie and say that I don't ever want to speak to them, but it's just hard. Mm-hmm. Life gets in the way. Yeah. Well, and it reminded me of the Mo Amory joke. Um, mm-hmm. when he's he's talking about going back to the Middle East and you'd think it would be easier for him than going, you know, to Western countries. He's like, no, because all my family's there. And then it means like there's like twelve hundred aunts and uncles that come out to greet <laughs> yeah. you. And yeah. I mean, I think from listening to different people from from various Middle Eastern countries talk, I think that's pretty normal. Like you have this relative, even if they're kind of this long lost relative that you've known about and they show up, then like all of a sudden, everybody got to get involved and got to say hi and give presents and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, hell, when I went over and met my sister's husband's family, they were like that with my mom and I. They're like, oh, my gosh, we've heard so much about you. And they were really nice and welcoming. And it was just, I, it was part of the culture. Like, mm-hmm. you know, come hang with us, have dinner, stay in our house, you know. Yeah, for cultures that are just so strongly rooted in the family, it's mm-hmm. just, it will forever be like that. Yeah, yeah. So the fact, like I said before, the fact of her her grandparents finding out from her grandparents, and she basically had to go through the call and find out what the whole their side of the mm-hmm. piece of what they did. 
And as you pointed out that you, Marvin, you said that, yeah, your, your, your parents might have done the same thing if it came down. They would do the same thing. Like, I can guarantee you for a fact, if this was the other way around and this happened to me and I left behind my theoretical child, I can guarantee you 100% my parents would do this. So it's, it's to as protection. It's more so, as they pointed out, it's always protection. It's protection. It There's just this thought of, I mean, only, I mean I'm an only child. If for whatever reason my parents lost me and they had the ability to take care of my potential child, they would do whatever they could to do that. Mm. That is true. So with the fact of that strong boost of trying to explain what their point was and their information, it did basically come down to the end of her poem that she basically wrote. She wrote her version or read her version of Ma. Mm-hmm. And as everyone else in the whole in the audience going, that's not your poem. That's not your poem. And then Didi said, that's not my poem. And he, he was so happy about that. Yeah, he he was so, I loved it. <laughs> and then it's like, such a it, cool character. He was, he, again, I'm going to be severely disappointed <laughs> myself if I do not turn out like Deity when I'm 60 years old. Point <laughs> <laughs> being, we find out that at the end, her dad screens her name, three letters, three words, <laughs> and, and then we end the movie. So this movie, it, the, the name itself is more interesting. Wendell Horses, a poet's epiphany of Rosie Ming. So it's, that right there is even just far beyond just the name of the poem, I mean, name of the movie. It has this little ex, extra inkling of information that about Rosie Ming that we were like, wow, this is a journey. This is a serious journey she's going through. So I will say this. We're going to do stab judging right now. And we're going to basically, for Snap Judgment, we basically rate this movie. We, we rate it in three snaps. It gets all the praises, all the Oscars, awards, everything. Two snaps is not that bad, but it's not that good. One snap, this needs to get back into the ink blob and basically erase from the face of this earth. We will do it in quarter snap increments, courtesy of Auntie Vice. And we will basically give our, we will basically display our um, number, our fingers at at one or three, two, one. Closing our eyes and getting ready to do this. We will start now. Three, two, one. All right, open eyes. Oh my goodness, it's all oh, three. God, I like it. I like oh, it. It's nine out of nine. This it's one the gets first the first. Perfect. This is the first time we've ever all been in sync, unlike Mulan. No, no, we had we, we were we were sick. Um, two, two. I think it was two movies ago. We but were. This in is sync. the first perfect score. Yes. 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 No, I thought we had a perfect score. We oh, animals had a pretty yeah. perfect score. Yeah, animals, we had a perfect score, too. I can so. tell you what was not perfect. Mulan. <laughs> and there's Marvin's Mulan reference. I, I, I was sure it was going to come up with the discussion of China <laughs> I thought, earlier. I thought, I thought Mulan didn't get as bad as um, Kindergarten Teacher, but... Yeah. 
<laughs> or even Naruto. Well, no, like the kindergarten teacher. No, y'all, no, wait a minute. I incorrect that one. We speak like a poet. Y'all basically. Put that in the shit. Oh, we shot on it hard. We shot <laughs> yeah. on it hard. We shit on it hard. <laughs> and it should be. And like this, we praised this. I don't think there was anything we would change about this film, any of us. Like Yeah, like I even despite my own little comment about it being too coincidental, like it just I feel like that doesn't detract from it because like in the yeah. end, it was just such a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Like it's just I can't take away from that moment. Yeah. Even with the po- even with the poetry, so with like this one, the, the poetry was actually a sprinkle, which is interesting. The story had its own little path, but the poetry was almost like little like little um time marks of where they're going with the history and also with the information they're given. So you I know, did enjoy I think that. I think there was a line I don't remember where they he they were talking, and they mentioned something where it's like his life. I mean, he lived there for it was poetry or something along those lines. And I was like, yes, well, you're right. Everything about it, while it was a sprinkling of whatever artistic value, life in itself was that. Like, yeah. you, you don't need it to be continuously talking about that right. specific artwork when you got those specific moments where, like, for instance, mm-hmm. Didi, he said, yes, no, whatever I do when itself was a political statement. So, therefore... I am a political individual. Whatever he did was going to be a poetic moment, no matter what. Right. Right. And the same thing with, um, with some of the, the ladies, uh, the Iranian ladies. So now there's a question I'm off. So is, do we call, we don't call them Iranians because they, we're calling them a lot of times Persian, that they're Persian. Mm-hmm. So it, it, am I, I'm, I'm Persian. Am I afraid this is wrong or something? I know they Iran is in the area of the modern okay. Persian Empire. Yeah. The Persian Empire was much larger than yeah. Iran. Yeah. And a lot of the, the Persian des- Empire descendants are Iranian. Right. Okay. So, but, they're, but they're a basic area. But it's Persian culture, culture, Persian food. And yeah, I think it's in the same regard, like how certain cultures, they don't even refer to themselves as that specific countryman. They refer to themselves culturally as whatever native person that used to reside there like in for instance like uh china we don't call ourselves chinese people we call ourselves uh tongan which means the person of like that specific dynasty oh really yeah like that that's what it is like i think a lot of people in hong kong don't even refer to themselves as a chinese person they refer to themselves as a hong konger at this point because like their their national identity is so strongly rooted in that independence of hong kong that like they don't even recognize themselves as a chinese person Mm -hmm. and i think it's the same thing with like how the like a lot of people in iran thought that too Mm -hmm. okay my speculation no, I was, just, I was mostly because uh, there was a lot of times pointed out in Persian, even though they're uh, Iran. It's like uh, they're not Iranian; they're technically Persian. Like, okay. Well, and I think it also depends on the context, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a lot of Vietnamese friends growing up in the U.S. They referred to themselves as Vietnamese because that's how Americans yeah. would cluster them, yeah. right? Um, but then there's but, like South and North Vietnamese, like well, based that, on where and tribe. Tribe was a big part of what, yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, you know, my brother in law is Moroccan, um, but he does here, he'll tell people he's Moroccan. But when we're back at his home, um, in Casa, he'll refer to himself as Berber because that's mm-hmm. the tribe he's from. He has a Berber identity there where here is Moroccan because Americans would have no idea what a Berber is, right? Well, yeah, exactly. I think it was like in the same way my parents would like, well, they call themselves like 
Chinese would just go like we're from this specific province. Right. Like we identify as this specific provincial type of people. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, I was looking at. So this movie gets a nine out of nine from us. We say to everyone, check it out because it's very good. It is executive produced by Sandra O. Oh. She even voiced her. She even voiced Rosie Ming. This movie. It's all the start. I mean, beyond just the eleven all praises, there, it should have got so. It should have, and this was back in 2016. It should have got some award here, yeah. but unfortunately, I think it's because it was a Canadian movie, and they kind of kept it as a foreign thing. We probably didn't even know Oscars so white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Either way, all praises. All praises do. Yes. All praises do. Think. I mean, yes. So, we will basically say to everyone, please check it out and also check out our social media. Please give your social media Marvin. Yeah, you can find me on IG as StarvinMarvin09. Auntie Vice? I'm on most social media as Auntie Vice. My website is AuntieVice.com and you can catch me on the 27th of this month with Kink and Chill through Brown Paper Tickets and on April 7th through Boundless Events. I'm teaching the class Harnessing your creativity for improving improved kink scenes. And you can find me on our Ambic Zine on any social media as I-A-M-B-I-C-Z-I-N-E. And also check out Sacramento Poetry Center. I'm the VP of it. Boom. Everybody, thank you for this episode. We tell you, please go check out Window Horses. It is on Amazon Prime. You can actually watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So, everyone else, peace out. Enjoy your day and keep your popcorn away from these punk popcorn snatchers. Peace. Peace. <laughs>